listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Aaron Wagner. I'm the small groups pastor here at the Mill. Yeah, so we'll start off by saying if you're looking for Joe Kirkendall today, um, he just had a baby this week. Did you guys know that? You did? I think we have a picture, if uh, they have back there, little Joseph Paul Kirkendall IV, JPK, Quattro. That's him right there. Let's see, I have, I have the uh, baby stats. So it's 7.56 a.m., Thursday morning, 7 pounds, 9 ounces, 19 and a half inches long. Pretty sweet, right? So Mill Sunday School, as little JPK. And I think there's a picture of me. Do you have the other picture too back there, Bowman? Oh, I can't see as good. That's me holding him. And I'm just smiling like an idiot. It's hard to see, but that's, that's what's happening in that picture. Yeah, so I got to hold him. Um, he is precious and cute. Erica is doing great. The baby is doing great. Everything went exactly to plan, so it was perfect. Yeah, couldn't ask for anything better than that. So Joe's not here today because of that. They're at home. He's probably missing you, but probably not as much as you're going to be missing him. With that said, this month we are talking about the Bible as a narrative. Some of the big picture things, if you haven't been here for all of them, I would encourage that you go to the podcast, check them out. It's free, and they're all there. And there's some, been some really cool ideas that we've talked about. Glenn Packing was here for a couple weeks. Joe's talked last week. And then next week, um, Pastor Matthew Ayers. Do you guys know Matthew Ayers? He spoke at the Mill Sunday School before. He's a pretty legit dude. So come back next week, because it'll be super rad. But check out those podcasts, because there's some ideas, especially some of the ones Glenn shared about, where taking the Bible as a big picture, looking at it and, and what it's really saying as a big, massive narrative, can really help us when we're studying Scripture, trying to figure out what it really means, when we can zoom out like that. So check it out, because there's some really cool ideas about what the Bible is and what it is not, and all those things. So today, we're continuing the same big idea, but what we're going to do today is track worship through the entire Bible, which is a little bit of a difficult task. I spent a lot of time this week studying and working on outlines and still feel like I don't really know what I'm talking about. So now that I have your expectations set real high, we'll keep moving on. So what we'll do this morning is we'll track, we'll track worship through the Bible, but we'll kind of hit some big areas, some big ideas, big points that kind of give us themes, you know, because the Bible's big and we don't have that much time. You know what I mean? So if you feel like I left some stuff out, it's because I did. Cool? Yeah, so I'm going to write on the board a little bit to keep track of an outline because I didn't give it to Joe early enough this week. First, we're going to start off just talking about worship in the time of Abraham. So we'll kind of write this down. So write these things down because there's going to be a lot of times today where because of the speed in which we are going and covering things, I won't be reading all these scriptures. And so there's going to be times where it's like, write this down. Read it later so you can really understand some of these ideas so you know that I don't just make up stuff. And if I do make up stuff, then you'll know and you can tell me about it later. Cool? Sweet. Everyone in the back's like, great, this guy's speaking heresy. Okay. So, got skillet, got baby. All right, let's jump into this. So Abraham, everything kind of starts off with Abraham. We see, and that's kind of why he's on our little time frame right here, is everything kind of begins with him. In Genesis chapter 13, he builds an altar which is kind of a theme through most of the Old Testament, is altars and those kind of things. So it starts there. Also in Genesis, like chapter 14, he wins a victory, and there's a song there that he sings, which also 
is a big theme that seems to go on. But at the time of Abraham, everything was pretty informal. So there's things that happen um, in the book of Genesis that cause worship, and it starts to move and grow. But it's not until Exodus that stuff really starts to take major shape in the Old Testament. So we'll put Exodus on our little timeline here. So in Exodus, we see some of the same things that we see Abraham doing. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses sings a song of praise to God after the whole Pharaoh incident. You guys know what I'm talking about? They crossed the Red Sea, Pharaoh, all the guys died. You know the story? Yeah? No? Okay, I'll just pretend like all of you said yes. Yeah, so they cross the Red Sea, and they sing their songs. Uh, Moses sings a song, and even in the end of chapter 15, Miriam, with all of her lady friends, like gets tambourines and stuff, and sings their songs too. So it's like, it's, it's a theme. It, it picks up where Abraham left off. But this is kind of a big moment, the Exodus moment, when God saves his people, brings them out of slavery, across this Red Sea. All, this moment here is kind of the, so what I want to say, like the pinnacle. It's like the, it's like the big moment in the Old Testament that everyone in the Old Testament looks back to and references when they're praising and giving worship to God. Now, along the way in the Old Testament, things happen, and they give God praise for those things. But there is this, this is kind of like the, the anchor spot, where everything can come back to, well, at least he saved us here. This great act of God's grace and love, and which is how worship still works today, right? Right. Just in case you're curious, that's how it works. Yeah, and so Exodus, this is the moment. And then after this, a little bit, Exodus, like chapters... 25 through 31, it gets really specific. And you should go back and read that because that's a lot of verses that we will not be reading right now. But in there, it talks about, sorry, no one else saw that, but I'm an idiot. Chairs falling forward. Anyway, uh, so Exodus, it, it covers the details of everything. So it says how to build the tabernacle. It talks about the clothes that the priests wear and how they must be made. It talks about like the Ark of the Covenant. You guys know what the Ark of the Covenant is? Yeah, all right, good. Yeah, that's made. All in Acts chapter 25 to 31, all those measurements, what it's made out of, the tent, all that stuff's covered in there in full detail. And then there's there's a lot that happens in Exodus. I feel like it sets the tone for how worship kind of plays out for the rest of time. So at the ends of chapter 25 to 31, that section, that is where Moses goes up to the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments. You guys familiar with that story? A little Charlton Heston, anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So the Ten Commandments happen. And when this happens, all the people of Israel, they're like, we don't know where Moses went. So let's just build a golden calf and worship that instead. So stupid, right? Bunch of big, dumb idiots. Everybody say that. Big, dumb idiots. Right. They're big, dumb idiots. And, but this becomes a theme throughout the entire rest of the Bible this idea of worshiping true, the true God, Yahweh, or worshiping this false God. And if you cover the whole, tes- whole Old Testament, you see this idea a ton. Have you guys ever heard of the term syncretism? Anybody? Okay, so syncretism, the official um, very scholarly dictionary.com says, um, syncretism is the attempted reconciliation or union of different or opposing principles, practices, or parties as in philosophy or religion. So syncretism basically happens, and the Israelites are accused of this, or they do do this a lot in the Old Testament, where they take their worship of God and worship of something else and try to blend the two. That's kind of what it means. 
Does that make sense? So like when they built the golden calf, they weren't saying, oh, we don't want to worship Yahweh still. But if he doesn't come back, we're fine because we still have this other guy. It's like a plan B. Does that make sense? Which isn't good, by the way. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. So this idea of syncretism will come up a lot. And it is something I think, I think God hates a lot. And we can see it if we look in Deuteronomy. I think it's chapter 8, verse 19. It says this, If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. No big deal. Just destroying you. And a part of what was cool about this point when the Israelites kind of journey and worship is that they had this tent, like the, the meeting tent, where like, they kept the ark and they kept these things. And that it traveled with them wherever it went, which was a really cool um, symbolic way of saying, like, wherever they went, Yahweh, he's faithful, and he's going to go wherever you go. Like, he's there with you. But some of the, the issue then is back in this time, all the pagan gods had more like, um, like a geography kind of set up thing. So, like, if we put it in today's terms, if you're in Kansas, there's a god you worship in Kansas. But if you're in Florida, that's a different god. So you've got to make sure you pay homage to that god when you're in Florida. Does that make sense? So this happens to the Israelites because they, they travel around and then they land like in Canaan. Has anyone heard of that? Okay. Thank you. And so they land there and the god there, or there's multiple, but a main one that was kind of that area was Baal. You guys heard of Baal? Yeah, so Baal was that. So Baal, like they, uh, sometimes they would have them like pictures of a bull or like a person riding a bull with lightning bolts and rods and things and spears and stuff like that. And so that was Baal. So what, what the Israelites would do is they, they would keep worshiping Yahweh and then they would land in this place where everyone's worshiping Baal. And they're like, well, if this is Baal's country, if we're in Kansas, you know, let's just do what the Kansas people do. So they would do that, right? Right, that's how it would work. And that's a big deal. And we can see um, this idea of uh, syncretism a lot, where it slips in. And never, I, I shouldn't say never, but I don't think the Israelites ever really tried to do things to say, well, Yahweh's great and wonderful, but what can I do just in case he's not? But that's really how they act, even if they don't really mean that. And we can see that a lot. Like we see that in the whole book of Hosea. If you read through that, you see that idea a lot. Um, and then in Judges, chapter 3, verse 5 and 7, it says the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, something else, Hivites, and Jebusites. Uh, they, looked, they took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs, which I don't know what that one is. Didn't look it up. Um, but so that was what would happen, is they would get them in, get into this land, start marrying people that believed in gods other than them, and they just brought it into their house. So kind of on accident, syncretism happened. Still making sense? Okay. So now that brings us to our next point. That kind of covers us through Exodus. Our next thing is worship in the time of King David. Does everyone know who King David is? Yeah, the guy who killed the big... Goliath, and all sorts of other stories. But David, David's sweet, because he gives us a lot of examples of what really true worshipers 
look like. Um, his songs, his writings, we still use them. We read them at the mill on a normal Friday night. We go through these things. You know the Psalms. Most of them are him. And so these are the pictures we still use even today. And what I, what I love, and I think this says a lot about this big idea about God only wanting worship and not sharing it with anybody else, is really through David, because David messed up a lot. Agreed? Like, if you were here on Friday, uh, Aaron Stern covered some of the things. You know, like, David was, he was supposed to be at war. He wasn't at war. So he was up on a roof, committed adultery, killed the guy. You know what I'm talking about? You know that whole story? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should look it up. It's actually a pretty riveting story. Um, Yeah, so David screws up big time. But the thing that David does that I think is so stellar is that he repents for it. He confesses it. He repents for it, asks forgiveness, and he still worships God in justice and so humbly. But, so that's why I think it says so much about God and what he wants, because he still says David's a man after his own heart. He still, I mean, there's consequences for David's bad decisions, right? There's, There's bad things that he doesn't get to finish the temple, even though he starts building the temple to honor God and all these things. But because he doesn't worship another god, God keeps lifting him up. You know what I mean? And that's the example I really think that we need to follow in our lives. And he, and David also, for other reasons, for the way he ruled as a king and the way he took care of things, he made Jerusalem kind of the center of the Jewish worshiping community. So the, the temples, like I just said, he was starting to build it. All these things here. So if you were Jewish, this was kind of the place. You know, like the laws came from here. Everything kind of originated there. And that David's to credit for that. And he also gets a lot of credit for worshiping God because he pushes against uh, syncretism a lot. And so if you want to, you can open your Bible to Psalms 24. So I actually want to read all this because we can kind of see this in one of his writings. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up souls to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. The King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors. Let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? He is the King of glory. The Lord Lord Almighty, He is the King of glory. So in Psalms like this, give us these examples where David fully knows or seems to fully know and understand the lordship of God and what it really means to not share that. And there's, and there's lots of other ones where it's, he even says even very strongly, like, don't worship idols, just worship God. And this is a big idea. And he doesn't, yeah, and he doesn't waver in it, even if he screws up a ton of other things. So I think that should be a great example for us because we all have the tendency to screw things up, which we'll cover more in a minute. Um... So, so that was David, and David was pretty stellar. But even in the time of David, um, the Exodus thing, they still looked back. Even in the time of David, they still looked back to the saving acts of God back then. 
Right? Right. Okay, so the next person, make sure I take a look here, is his son, Solomon. Now the reason why, because a lot of these have major year gaps in between them. You know what I'm talking about? But David and Solomon do not, because Solomon isn't like his dad at all. Solomon's kind of a big dumb idiot sometimes when it comes to some of these things. Um, where David, if, he, if David was the example of how to fight syncretism, Solomon did the opposite. And so even the temple, so David started building this temple, Solomon had to finish it, right? Right. And so he had to finish it, but when he finished it, he didn't, he didn't make it to honor God all the way. He would, he like decked it out. So like put as much gold in it as he could, put all these expensive, high-class things in it for the purpose. So when foreigners would come in town and say, oh, that's the temple of Solomon's God, and it looks like that, then Solomon must be legit. He must have a lot of authority and a lot of power. We better not mess with him. So Solomon built God's temple for his sake, not God's sake. What a big dumb idiot, right? Yes, he's a big dumb idiot. Uh, so he built it up for that. The other thing he would do, like we mentioned with the Israelites before him, where he started marrying wives of other cultures, which then brought those gods, those foreign gods, into God's temple. And see, that's when the syncretism happened. That's the word of the day, by the way. Syncretism. So that's when that happened again. Does that make sense? So when he started marrying these other wives, it just blurred the lines between worshiping Yahweh and worshiping these other gods. And he did it. He married these wives. So for like power's sake, like, oh, if I marry this guy's daughter, then I'll be cool with this country. Does that make sense? So Solomon is a big dumb idiot. And they, a lot of people think um, that in this time, because of these things, the, the, really the essentials of what Jewish worship looked like, which at this point was really prayer and praise, confession, and reading and studying the scripture, all of that kind of just lost its value. It's, uh, it was just empty rituals that had no purpose to them because it was so polluted with all of the other worship of other gods. And and even many people would think, like, this, this started um, the process of, I would say, the derailing of Israel, where they get sent to exile. You know what happens next? Do you guys know what happens next? So next is exile. Am I going too fast, by the way? Does this feel like, feel like a fire hydrant in the face? Because uh, I kind of feel that way being up here. So this time, the time of exile is a big deal. So because it's so polluted, um, yeah, so Jerusalem gets split apart. Um, Jerusalem, or the Jews get de- like deported in different areas, but not all of them do, but most of them do. Um, and that's actually tricky. It actually creates major issues that they don't all get deported. So basically what happens in this time is some of the Jews leave, Right? Right. So some of them leave, and then some of them stay and just marry the other country's wives. Does that make sense? So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say this. So it's like, if, if everyone in the United States got sent somewhere else, like we all had to go to Mexico, but then not all of us had to go to Mexico, so some of us just stayed and like married Canadians. Right? Does that make sense? So then like, so say if you were the group that went down to Mexico, it's like, oh no, we're really Americans. 
We're just waiting to come back to America. And you come back to America, and you're like, oh, we're back. But there's all these people who are kind of Americans, but they're kind of Canadian. Wouldn't that be awkward? Right. So it kind of happened here. So, but there's a, there's a couple cool, um, I wouldn't say cool, but just shifts in how worship worked in this time. Because the Jews, when they were like in other countries, uh, they didn't have the, the center of worship that David had created. The Jerusalem, the temples. Remember how I said David kind of focused it all in, and that's where worship happened for the Jewish nation? But then they couldn't go there, you know? It's like if Denver was our capital of worship, and we all got shipped to Mexico, and we could never go to Denver. What would we do? Well, I'll tell you what they did. Thanks for asking. Um, they, the, the focus was on meeting together and studying the scriptures and studying the law together. And at this point, the law became something, um, something celebrated. You know, like even for me growing up, I always felt like the Ten Commandments and the law and all these things were just things to just bum me out. You guys ever felt that way? Like, dude, God loves me, but he just wants me to have zero fun, just ruin my life. But they didn't feel this way about the law then. Because what they saw the law as, as this, our God is so faithful and loves us so much that he is willing to give us warning signs and give us rules to live by so we don't ruin our lives. Wouldn't that be cool if we actually thought of the Bible that way instead of like this thing that just bums us out? Because, and this is how they looked at it back then. So their focus was on this. So like, have you heard the word ecclesia? You guys heard that? A lot of pastors like to talk about that. So it's like the ecclesia, this is kind of where it started. It's uh, where the church comes together. So the church is no longer, or starts to, I shouldn't say no longer, it starts to become a place that doesn't have to happen in the temple in Jerusalem. Studying scripture, meeting together, starts to become the more normal Jewish worship things. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's a, that's a big shift because it starts to affect, um, it'll, this will affect the early church, the early Christian church and how it functions. So the next, um, the next section, which is, word I feel it's um, kind of made up, uh, is intertestimal. Testimal. Intertestimental. That's what it was. Intertestimental. Got it? You can't even read that from back there, can you? So just a waste of energy. Dang it. Um, but basically, so this time, it's kind of like if you're reading through like the Old and New Testament, it's like that area that's kind of like right in the middle. Does that make sense? So this is kind of where we're at. So it just took us 30 minutes. We just got through the whole Old Testament. Cool, right? Cool. You guys aren't as excited as I am. Um, so this is when a lot of things start to change and shift. Um, have you guys heard of Alexander the Great? Yeah? <laughs> well, Alexander the Great takes over uh, these countries, and he really starts to push Hellenism on everybody. And in that, it's the views of um, study, and specifically like in science and anthropology and things like that. It becomes very, very important to the country. Um, this is also a time when the study in the Greek becomes the official languages and starts changing things, um, which is probably to credit, you know, the Old Testament's all in Hebrew, right? Do you guys know that? Old Testament is originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament is originally written in what? Greek. And it's because of this time period where everything's changing. Um, 
and the shift happens because of Alexander the Great, um, and that affects the temples and synagogues. So at this point, at this point, um, all the Jewish people have come back, or a lot of them have come back to Jerusalem. There was actually an edict that said they could come back, but they didn't all come back at once. It's like if we all just wanted to stay in Mexico. We're like, ah, America's great, but we're settled here. You know? You know what I'm talking about? So it took like 75, over 75 years for like the, like the Jerusalem to become full of Israelites again. Like it took a long time for these guys to be filtered back in. And there's always this, those tensions, you know, between the people who left and the people who stayed and all of those things. So all of that still is existing and happening. Uh, but then there's even more to it. Because now there's a struggle between um, the, the Jews that want to stay more on the Hebrew side and tradition and these things, and then the Jewish people that are going along with all of the things that Alexander the Great is pushing on them, like the study, all the Hellenism things. Does that make sense? So like, <coughs> excuse me, got some more. <coughs> so the word Sadducee, you remember what a Sadducee is? Have you heard of the word Sadducee? You know, anything, anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, guy in the back, sweet. Um, so Sadducee, they're the ones who like sought tolerance and compromise. Like they're the ones that are like, okay, Hellenism, study is good. These things are great. And then the Pharisees are on the other side who kind of stood like for the old way of doing things. So they're the ones who would be um, more separate or more like legalistic, right? And so, so you have the, the Jewish issues and then you have these guys who are running things then they're in the Sanhedrin. Remember when we talked about the Sanhedrin last month in the book of Acts? We talked about that quite a bit. So these guys are running the Sanhedrin, but they don't even agree with how the way the Jewish nation should work. Does that make sense? So for me, even studying these things makes the story of Jesus that much richer. Um, so like when we study the book of Acts, knowing some of these big ideas are helpful, where we see even the Sanhedrin have massive disagreements between each other, but they agree enough and mad enough that they would stone Stephen. They agree enough that they would kill Jesus. Does that make sense? So that, it, for me, hearing that makes it even richer, saying, oh, it's not, oh, Jewish people just didn't like Jesus. No, the Jewish people were fighting. Like, they're very different. Um, but they still were strong enough to do that. Um, yeah, it just kind of blows me away. So the, the, the push for schools and study changes scripture and the law. Remember how I said they looked at the law as this thing that was like God's great love for them. Remember how I just said that? Well, the law now changes to this thing that's super studied, where it's like studied and it takes the life out of a lot of it, where it just becomes like this like more rigid, like here's how we study things. You know when you read the stories about Jesus and he goes in there and he gets mad at all those guys, like specifically the Pharisees. You know what I'm talking about? Right, because they, they've taken these things that are so precious and great, the law of God that shows his love for us and twisted it into this mechanical, legalistic thing to keep people down with. And that made Jesus mad. But, so this is where we're at, where Jesus comes into the picture. And it changes everything. He really changes everything. It says in Matthew 5 and John 1 also, so that he came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. And, yeah, this is, this is a big idea. And I'm sorry, but I, I've just been overwhelmed with some of it lately, just thinking about what all this really means. And, uh, I mean, I've, I've grown up in church my whole life, 
heard about Jesus, heard about the cross. But the more I learn about these things, the more it really messes with me. Because um, in the Old Testament, like I told you, in Exodus 25 and 31, it gives all these like specific orders, you know, of how things should be done and sacrifices. Um, like for the priest, you have to kill all these bulls and rams. So worship in the Old Testament was bloody and smelly and sacrifices and all these like specific things that happen in specific ways. And it all goes back to a guy named Adam. Everyone know Adam? Yeah, he screwed it up for all of us. Yeah, big dumb idiot. Um, yeah, so because of Adam's fall, we're, we're all wired. Um, I don't know how else to say this. I, I think, I've been thinking about, we're all wired defectively. You know, like we're, uh, we don't, our natural default isn't the way God would want things done. Don't worry about it. That means I'm almost done. No, that's not what it means. Don't get your hopes up. Um, yeah, so, so all throughout the Old Testament, there's this massive, and you guys have all heard these things, right? There's like this massive gaping hole between where humans stand and where God is because of the fall of man, because Adam screwed it up, right? You know what I'm talking about? So the old, whole Old Testament, though there's things that we still do today, like there's singing of the songs, Abraham, Moses, all these guys did along the way that we still do. But Jesus messes up all the other things that the Old Testament worship looked like. Because when Jesus came, he took out all of it. The perfect man, God and man, you know, this hypostatic union, this beautiful perfect man took it all on the cross and was his sacrifice, finished it one time and once and for all. Right? That's sweet. Especially, gosh, I'm sorry. It is sweet. Um, When you look through the Old Testament and you start reading some of these details of all the stuff they really had to do, that Jesus just took care of it for us, it's not like it's not like a little thing. And, I, and yeah, <laughs> so I'm sorry. Because um, that really has been screwing with my head and the way I think about things. And so Jesus comes, and it, it is good to know, and I don't know if all of you have thought about this, but Jesus was Jewish. Um, he followed all the things in the Bible. It says, like in the New Testament, it talks about all the, he went to all the festivals, he went to the temples, he went to the synagogues, and all those things he still did as a Jewish guy. Does that make sense? Um, and just so you know, I didn't know this. Temples and synagogues were different. Temples were more like the place of worship. Synagogues were more of the place of like teaching and where that took place. Did you guys know that? I didn't know that either. And I think the closest thing I can think of, it's probably not this way at all, but I would picture like a temple would be like a church. You go and you worship there, but seminary is where you go and just hear teaching and study scriptures really well. Does that make sense? So it's like temple would kind of be like church. Synagogue would kind of be like a seminary. And that's probably not the best example, but it's the best one I could think of. Um, yeah, so, and even in this time, we see this a lot. Jesus goes to the temples. He goes to the synagogues. And after he dies and gets resurrected, his disciples go to the same places. Like, they go to the synagogues, and they go to the temples. And that's where, like, Paul and Peter and all these guys preach. So all these guys uh, were going to these Jewish places to tell about Jesus, which, which also became an issue later. Uh, because these early Christian people, after Jesus came and changed the rules, um, it, Christianity was like Judaism still. Do you guys know that? 
Sweet, no one knew that. Uh, or he didn't, he just didn't say anything. Um, but so that became the issue because they said Jesus died for everybody. But if you're a Gentile, then you need to become Jewish so you can come into our synagogues and learn about Jesus. See how that, it's kind of weird. Yeah, so at first, and that was some of the problem in the early church, is that they, they were so similar. They didn't know how to do church or worship without doing it that way. You know what I mean? Because they're so similar. They were a sect of Judaism for a long time. The only differences, really, between the earliest church and, like, kind of like the church we read about in Acts, you know, the ones we just covered a month ago, the big difference between them and kind of the Judaism sect is that um, the early church would share, like, big common meals together, and there's no sacrificial elements, like we just, like I've been talking about. Because they understood that Jesus paid it once, paid it once and for all. Um, and so that's how the church worked. Um, yeah, and we also see, too, that the place of worship, remember how I said the Jewish nation, it's changed when they got sent to exile. See how this stuff all kind of like keeps adding up to itself? Uh, but when they're in exile, they started to shift. Like they couldn't go to Jerusalem, so they, they met and read the scripture and did that. You know what I'm talking about? Remember how I just said that, like, I don't know, 20 minutes ago? Well, the early church did the same thing. And aren't we still doing the same thing now? Where we don't have to go to wherever we can come here, study the scriptures. And it has molded, and the more time goes on, there's more differences in the way um, the Christian church today, the modern Christian church, looks compared to the Jewish church. Does all that make sense? Sweet. Yeah, but the big idea is that Jesus changed all of that. He changed the place. Like, if you read the story um, in John chapter 4, do you guys know that story? If I just say John chapter 4, do you know what that is? No? Okay, so um, it's a story where Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman. Do you guys remember that story? Which was a big deal, because Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. A lot of that, like... American, and you come back, and you don't want to hang out with American Canadians. It's kind of like that, where you would just hate them. And so there's like this, um, so it's this big thing. But in there, John chapter 4 is where Jesus starts talking about, like, time's coming, now come. You know what I'm talking about? Where we won't worship at this place or this place. It's not a matter of which city you're in, because that was an issue. Because if you're a Samaritan, you couldn't get into Jerusalem and couldn't worship at that temple. So they created their own with different rules and different things. See how those are issues? But now Jesus came and took all that away. All of it. And so, and if you're wondering, like, there's, here's some verses for you. Um, we really worship through the Son. John chapter 16 talks about it. First uh, John chapter 1 kind of talks about when we go um, to ask for forgiveness of our sins. It's all through Jesus. And before, in the Old Testament, before people would worship, they'd have to go through these um, rituals and things to be clean, to come through, to kind of say like, okay, now I'm clean enough to talk to God. And so they had to do these acts. But because Jesus did that for us, we don't have to keep doing those things, but we go through Jesus. So it's the righteousness of Jesus that lets us be saved, right? We get forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus. And, in, and the New Testament's full of it. I mean, if you just read it, you would see it over and over again. Like that is a massive idea. And another thing that's pretty sweet about kind of New Testament worship that's different, or a little bit different than the Old Testament worship, is, is the Holy Spirit and how 
he works and affects. Like he shows up a lot in the Holy Spirit. Or sorry, the Holy Spirit shows up a lot in the Old Testament, right? Like we see all these stories. You know, like the Holy Spirit comes on Samson and he destroys cities, he kills like thousands of dudes with a jawbone. You ever wonder what that looked like? I've always wondered what that would look like. Um, sorry, kind of derailing. Um, but even now, the confession or like our confession of saying that we sinned comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit working in us. So there's this new mystery that we come through the cross, we come through the blood of Jesus that gives us righteousness, then we have the Holy Spirit in us and we live in the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So it's, it's God in us that makes us clean and makes us whole. Um, but to cover, kind of just recap some of these big ideas, and then we'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. Um, there is this idea that I think in worship in the New Testament, in Old Testament, I think we see the best examples of it, of the Israelites worshiping gods they shouldn't be worshiping. But this idea of syncretism. Everybody say it? Syncretism. Sounds really nice from up here. So there's this idea that things get blended in into their worship of God. And it doesn't stay pure. It doesn't stay separate just for God. So what I would love for you guys to discuss just for a couple minutes. We're doing pretty good on time. Discuss for a couple minutes. How do you think that happens today in our churches or in our worship or in our lives? How does the worship of other gods, and it it looks different, granted. It looks much different. Like there's no like massive bull idol that people are worshiping downtown. Like it's, it's not there. You know, there's different things. So just take a few minutes. Does everyone understand what I'm asking you to talk about? Yeah? All right, take a few minutes and go. All right, you guys all ready? You guys almost done? Good. Then shut up. All right. Uh, oh, come on. Lighten up. Yeah, so as the church grows, there's things that change. And even in us, there's stuff that has changed. And I'm sure you guys have talked about a lot of really sweet things. But we just don't really have time to cover all of it. So I'm just going to tell you what I think. Um, so I think in, in our world today, we still have, I mean, stuff has changed for sure. There is like, a, there's stuff that marks us now. Confession of faith, and baptism, and um, the Lord's Supper. You know, that, that looks different in our churches today than it did. Even the early church, it was like a celebration that Jesus lived. Did you guys know that? In the early church, like, the Lord's Supper was like this big, like, feast. Because they didn't need to remember the death. They saw it. You know what I mean? So it's like, they don't need to remember that execution. Like, they will never, ever forget it. But for us, it is more of this thing where we now look at it to only really remember it for really what it is. Does that make sense? So there's stuff about our Christian church that sets us apart that we do that they didn't do before and things like that. But I think there's some things... um, I told Becca last night, I was like, I'm going to tell everyone they can't listen to secular music tomorrow. Because uh, it blends in, which I'm not going to. I actually don't, don't think that. Don't, don't give me mad at me for that. Uh, but I think some of the things uh, that kind of blur into our worship are the ideas um, that our culture worships. Um, but it doesn't look as blatant as like a massive cow. And so some of those ideas for me, I think, are these ideas of individualism and materialism, and things like that. And I think those creep into our worship of God um, often. 
and we don't even really recognize it. Similar to the Old Testament where the Jews were marrying other countries and other people and not really realizing they're getting caught up in these things because I think that. And so um, I think living in community is a good answer to some of those problems Cause, and, and to really study these scriptures for really what it means because I think our problem is that we don't worship other gods. We worship God but put different parts to his character that aren't actually there. Um, where we, the way we pray, the way we worship. And I think that's where it gets dangerous. And that's where, even today, where it's easy to say, like, Solomon, you're a big, dumb idiot. But I think we do similar things. It just looks, we're better at hiding it, I think. You know what I mean? Um, so, with that, uh, I want to wrap up and say, uh, hopefully, this fire hydrant to the face of going through the, the Bible at warp speed to cover big ideas about worship will help us, even when we go and worship God today, here in a little bit, or the rest of our lives, that we'll really know and we'll try to be aware of these things that creep into us as it's been happening for thousands and thousands of years before Christ and definitely after. So, is that good? Does that make sense? We, all right, cool. Uh, let's pray and then we'll get out of here and go to a uh, big church if you want. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. And we thank you that every time we come to your scriptures, we come to your word, um, that it's not false and it's accurate and it's real and it applies to us and it molds us and changes us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would really, really teach us, teach us in this room, in this church, in our country, at the mill, that how to really live knowing that Jesus, you really paid it all and changed the rules and that you took on far more than we ever could really know. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a work in us and in our thinking and in our hearts um, that we wouldn't just come after you to learn these things, to fix behaviors, but that we could learn these things to come after you, to just be more like you, and to really have an understanding of what it means to live through the blood of Jesus. So Father God, we thank you. In your name we pray. We thank you for it all. Amen. All right, thanks guys. Have fun at Big Church. Come back next week for Matthew.